Ballon d'Or winner as well as one of the greatest strikers of his generation, Mr. Michael Owen and the greatest goalkeeper of all time, Mr. Peter Schmeichel! You both joined arch rival teams. At the time, I had my reasons for making that choice. The last period of my career was pretty painful mentally, knowing that it's not really the Michael Owen that was. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everybody, sitting right next to me now is, in the opinion of many, including myself, the greatest goalkeeper of all time. Yep. He has won... 24 trophies across his 22-year-long career and Massive. kept hundreds of clean sheets. And of course, on the other side of the table, we have Mr. Michael Owen, Ballon d'Or winner, as well as one of the greatest strikers of his generation. So welcome to the show, Michael Owen and Mr. Peter Schmeichel. Hey! hey. Welcome to the show. Thank hey, you. And I'll be looking at this as well. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the trophy with us. The actual trophy, which is in slightly unfortunate colours right now, in my opinion. Because the Man City colours. Okay, so... Welcome to Singapore and this is actually a really auspicious time for both of you to be here because we're actually celebrating one of our major holidays and that's Chinese New Year. Mm. And that brings me to a <laughs> gift that we have prepared. We have a gift segment now. Oh. <laughs> New, we just introduced so this segment. we've got you bunch, a bunch of snacks. Oh wow. Oh. So these are traditional Chinese New Year snacks. Have, have you have you guys seen any of these? So one of them are pineapple tarts, and then the other is uh, prawn crackers. Oh wow. Oh. This is prawn kind of interesting crackers. because it's the Nutella. On the oh, I'll have that one then. Ah, Beautiful. You know, but Kong like, Fat Choi. <laughs> <laughs> Close it up. Okay, okay, so we we've had we were having this conversation uh, earlier this week during our lunchtime where we had a debate hoping that you both can join us on this. Okay. Which is the most difficult um job? Or stressful. The, or stressful. A striker or, or a goalkeeper? Let's I go. can I can say that go goalkeeping <laughs> is not stressful at all. Oh. So as far as I'm concerned, it's not that. Especially the as far as the best is concerned, it's not so stressful. <laughs> I don't think football is stressful, is it? Is any posi position stressful? I mean, maybe a defender. I'd hate to be a defender. <laughs> but um, oh, we get to score the goals that win the games. My position's the best on the pitch, I feel. When you started football, you actually were playing football on the side, but at the same time taking on quite a few odd jobs in order to yeah. make ends meet. What were some of the sacrifices that you had to make in order to chase that footballing dream? Well, first of all, in uh, <clears throat> the dream that I had of, of uh, becoming a professional football player, I mean, that job didn't exist in the country that I, that I grew up in. In, uh, in Denmark, it was, uh, it was against the law to, to, to make money of sport. So in order to oh, represent holy. Denmark in any sport, you had to be an amateur. Wow. So players, the, the the few players that went abroad and played in, in 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 clubs in you know Holland, Belgium, Germany, not so much England at the time, um, couldn't couldn't play for the national team. Mm. The law change came came around in 1978, and at that point, I'm 15 years old. But it wasn't until 1986 before the first club actually went full time professional. That was Bromby. 
And at this point, I am playing for a different club oh. as a semi-pro uh, and not making enough money to, to, you know, to make a living. So I, I had to have a job next to it. I mean, I was cleaning in an old folks' home. I was working for the World Wildlife... Uh, uh, what's it called? Foundation? Foundation, like Foundation. Yeah, Foundation. Okay. Yeah. I was a trainee carpet fitter. I I worked as an uh, advertisement salesman for yeah. a newspaper. I wow. did so many different jobs, which at the time didn't really mean so much for me. Yeah. It was literally just, you know, I was... I said, I said to myself, I was passing time <laughs> and making sure that I was alive <laughs> and I had food on the table and a bed to sleep in <clears throat> before I became a professional football player. And yeah. I have to say, this day today, I'm really, really happy that I did all these kind of jobs. I'm happy because it gave me perspective. Mm. It made me appreciate the opportunity that I, I, I was given. And that came around the next year, 1987, when, when Brom became for me. So... I wasn't going to give that opportunity away or waste it. So my first full-time professional year was, was in 1987. We had a coach, Epis Goldale, who went to Aberdeen. Unfortunately, he's passed away now, but his principles was what Pep is doing today. And of course, we're, we're, back, we're back in the 80s, and of course, the quality of the players wasn't as, as good as what Man City have. Mm. But we were playing that kind of football. And because we... Back then, we were the only team full-time professional. It was easy to get the best players in Denmark to come to Bromby. Mm -hmm. So it was, I'm not saying it was easy, but we were so good in Denmark. If you put into context where, where this football team suddenly appeared in the, in the sort of, in the hierarchy of, of, of European football, my first game, very first game as a professional footballer was a quarterfinal in the Champions League against Porto. Wow. In 1987, uh, and wow. Porto ended up winning the Champions League. Yeah. <clears throat> they beat Bayern Munich in the final. Wow. We lost one nil and drew one one. That, that's how good we became in one year. Um, and and I was playing the way that you know modern day football was played back then. And it was you know it was it was mm. it, it was such a great introduction into professional football for me. And but just going back to the jobs because I had all these jobs, you know, I knew that if I was not doing my job every day, trying to be better and trying to be, you know, the best in football, or the best in, in the games, I would then have to go back and do uh, these jobs. Right. And I didn't want to do that. Right. Was it always goalkeeping for you when you decide you want to enter football as a profession? Was it always goalkeeping? Yes. So obviously it's a different system in, in Denmark to, to England, for instance, where most of the football is, is happening through the schools. We, we have football clubs, so as I said, we're amateur country. Right. Yep. Anyone can join any sport. The facilities are there. It's paid by, you know, the, the council and the, and, the, and the government. So I joined a football club when I was uh, very, very young, eight years, or th seven or eight. Mm. And I was uh, outfield for about 10 minutes, five minutes maybe, mm. stretching it, three minutes. <laughs> Coach said, hmm. Try goal, you know, try to goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and stayed there ever wild. since. And then I've, I've been in goal ever since. And He's super tall, by the way. <laughs> yeah. He's slouching so now. Okay. For Michael, you actually, your dad played football. How much of that was an influence to you when you wanted to start playing as well? Yeah, my dad was a massive influence. My dad was a professional <laughs> footballer himself, started at Everton. I uh, played two games, I think, as a young boy, um, maybe 18, 19 year old. 
uh, back in the day when there were no substitutes, so not easy to, to get games right. like it is now. You know, one of his last clubs was was Chester, and that's where he set up family. Um, <laughs> and I'm one of five children. Uh, football was in the family, of course, and I had two older brothers yes. who played football. Yes. So. And I think you have two options when you're growing up in that type of environment. You can think, oh, they're so much older than me. They're so much bigger and stronger. And, um, and you can sort of not really play. Or you can wake up every day saying, I'm going to beat them today. I'm going to beat, even though they're better. And you gradually, it's incredible the amount of professional footballers that have got older brothers. It's incredible. Um, and I think that environment helped me uh, improve as a player, as a youngster. So you, you never from a young boy thought about maybe I'll perhaps be a, a banker. It was just football <laughs> Something, yeah. all the way, only that or nothing. All the way, yeah. Right. The only other things I, I enjoyed was sport. You know, I, I played golf, I did boxing, I did, right. you know, anything, cricket, rugby. I, I wanted to play anything. <laughs> um, so sport was a, a big passion, but um, but football was was it. And of course, I think it helps if, if you're good at something you enjoy it even yeah. more yeah. Uh, and then you want to practice even more because you're mm. feeling good and, and I, I just think that that snowball then gathers momentum and um so your dad was at Everton how disappointed was he when you joined Liverpool well my dad it was quite the opposite because my dad supported Liverpool oh, oh yikes as a youngster <laughs> um, but it was Everton that that yeah. wanted him to to play for them so uh, right. and I was the opposite of course I only supported Everton because when I went to school, I can yeah. sort of say, well, I support Everton because my dad played for them. It was more of a, a boast. I never used to go and watch the team. Yeah. Um, so speaking mm. of Liverpool, you were there when you won your Ballon d'Or and that was back in 2001 off the back of Liverpool's Cup treble. And I've seen in another interview something that you've mentioned that was quite interesting because most people would attribute winning the Ballon d'Or to be the highlight or the pinnacle of your career. But you've actually said that you are more proud of winning the two golden boots that you did in your first oh. and second full season. 97 and yeah. yeah. Why is that? Well, I think, I mean, listen, winning the Ballon d'Or is, is, you know, now I look back and, and I see the trophy and I'm incredibly proud to have won it. And it's obviously a very, very difficult uh, trophy yes. to win. I just think that when you talk about achievements and if I look back at my career and think, right, what did I do that nobody else possibly will ever do? And I think it was, it was winning two golden boots. Joining a team at 17 and winning the, uh, the golden boot in your first year as a 17-year-old and then doing it again as an 18-year-old and entering a Premier League that's got, you know, Shearer and Sheringham and Andy Cole and Dwight York and Robbie Fowler and, I mean, just great 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 strikers scoring lots of goals every year winning the Ballon d'Or is very rare but people will continue to do it every year mm. and Dream that's me. why I think that that was probably my best achievement because it's it's something that I don't think anybody will do for, for many of the the god tier athletes that we've we've heard from or have the privilege to host right many of them they achieve such height of success especially at a really really young age they go through some form of um is my life downhill from here? Some form of um, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Was that something that you went through? Or was not that a, not a thing during that time? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at anybody's career, anybody's life, uh, you always sort of hit a peak. It might be over there. It might be mm. straight away. And eventually then you will start coming down. So, you know, 
to be to be you. depressed about it is like mm. well we're all the same aren't we mm. um it affected me mentally while i was a player uh, it didn't it didn't hinder me as a human being i didn't right. get depressed and think my world was coming to an end and <laughs> things like that i was you know men my mentality was probably my strength but looking back the the last period of my career was was pretty painful mentally 25 i was going down you know because i had lots of injuries i'd lost my pace um so i wasn't the player that and and walking out with with the name owen on your back but knowing that it's not really the michael owen that was and i'm only 25 and i'm thinking I can't do this anymore to the same level. My body lets me down every time I try to sprint. Mm. And, and that was that was painful. So for the second half of my career, yes, it was it was probably mentally more of a challenge because uh, I didn't really enjoy myself. I didn't love what I was right. what I was doing because I couldn't do it like I my brain was telling me what to do, <laughs> but my body couldn't. So when Paul Scholes would get the ball, my in initial reaction was you know, sprint into the channel, sprint over the top, do what causes a lot of problems, what my my strength was. But then my brain would say, no, stop, stop. That that will expose you to injury. Come short, come mm. short. And then I ended up having to be a, a link player and a number 10, mm. it wasn't really my game, and link play and get in the box. So I never lost the ability to score and to finish in the box, but get in there, was right. uh, was a was a different challenge, and I lost the one thing that probably made me a feared centre forward. One thing that you both have in common is that um, you both join art rival teams, right? Manchester United mm. to Man, Man City, obviously not directly, and of course with Liverpool and, and Manchester United. Um, was the backlash from fans as bad as you guys expected it to be? And in hindsight, like how how bad was it? Or was it something yeah. that you guys uh, well, just I, I have to say, on, on for my part, uh, it's only years after that, you know. Yeah. People that don't understand where Man City was back then. Of uh, so, I've literally mm. just being stupid, uh, yeah. which, you know, some people are. And, and you know, <laughs> I... I I um, I joined a football club that was nowhere yeah. at the time. I had my reasons for 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 making that choice. First of all, where I was at Aston Villa, where I really really I enjoyed. I actually really enjoyed that football club. I enjoyed everything about it, but it wasn't an option to stay. Mm. The uh, the manager that signed me had resigned during the season, and the new one didn't want people like me in the club. Um, so I had, I had, if I if I wanted to carry on, I had to go somewhere else, and I had been traveling around. I've, you know, I left Manchester to go to, to Lisbon, uh, came back, uh, wasn't too far away from Manchester in Birmingham, but I still wasn't where I wanted to be. I wanted to be back in Manchester. I yeah. I kind of grew into the place, uh, and I felt definitely felt where I lived was my home. That that was it. This is where I'm going to spend the rest of my days. And of course, coming towards the end of my career, there was this opportunity to um, to work with someone like Kevin Keegan. Uh, and, and my thinking at the time was that I was going to stay in football. I was going to go into coaching and, and possibly managing. And my inspiration was, you know, on very few managers, really. So I've, I've had in the last couple of years, I've had a lot of how not to do things. Mm. But I've also only really had 
on the highest, highest level of football, one one person to draw inspiration from, and that was of, of course Alex Ferguson. Yeah. And I didn't feel that that was enough. And and when the opportunity to work with Kevin Keegan came around, um, I, I was thinking long and hard about this. They they were in the championship yeah. when when I was approached, and they were about to be promoted into the Premier League. And of course, uh, I spoke to Alex Ferguson about this. How would this be perceived? And and, and he was all right with that. Mm. I think most mm. people were all right with it at the time. Yeah, of course. But little did I know that they ended up with the ribbons and that so many times. <laughs> so people are mistaking me for going to a rival. Yeah. Man City was not a rival back then. At it, the was, time, yeah. it was a local team. Of course, the Derby Day, when, when that came around, it was a big thing. It was a big game, but... The, the 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 real rivals were Liverpool, Liverpool yeah. definitely Liverpool more than anything Liverpool and then of course Leeds yeah uh, and and the last bit of my sort of Man United time Arsenal, Arsenal as well yeah. mm-hmm. so so they were the teams that you definitely did not want to go to you act on information you have on the time that that's the only thing when you make a decision it's on the information the data you have mm. looking back it was it was a really really big mistake mm. just leaving Man United. Mm. I was fatigued. I'm mentally fatigued. I was too proud to ask for a little bit of leniency, you know. Mm. Maybe you know, don't play me. Don't don't let me travel. You know, just now and again, just you know, play somebody else. You know, I, I didn't want that because I wanted to play every game. I wanted to be this big, big, strong guy. I wanted to be that guy that when when Michael was playing Manchester United, <laughs> he would be thinking about me. I wanted <laughs> I wanted him to have me in the head, that he yeah. was playing against me, not Man United. I wanted yeah, yeah. to be that guy. Mm. Once I made the decision to leave, I'd had three years of no break. I just played every game. I had operations when, when we were off season. I had the European Championship, World Cup, all of that, which, I mean, the World Cup 98, where yeah. you played in as well. When, when I came back from the World Cup, yeah. We, we've only finished runners-up to Arsenal. And back then, runners-up, they had to play qualification to get into the playoff game, yeah. to get into the Champions League, which was the most important thing for Man United. So I'm I'm ringing, I'm ringing my manager and say, we're out, when do you want me back? And he says, tomorrow. What do you mean? Yeah, well, I say, our most important game yeah. is in, in three and a half weeks. You know, I'm like, I can't go back tomorrow and my head just went you know and this is when I started to think about oh I can't do this anymore I just can't do this anymore that's when I made that decision and I spoke to the manager I spoke to the chairman but I was acting on on the information that it all came from being mentally fatigued yeah and then, of course, you make the decision. You're a little bit too proud, a little bit too stubborn. You know, I can't go back on that and then... Yeah. But that—that's, I mean, that's my analysis mm. of that. I probably <laughs> should never have left Man United. But how about you, Michael? Um, how how was it joining? Because I think in in your time of football, it was a lot more noisy. Um, how was it for you making that transition to a rival team? Can I just say, yeah, he had to do it if he wanted to win that trophy. And he did. And he did. A big part in it as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, if you had said to me at the at the start when I was playing against Peter when I was 17, 18 for Liverpool, if you said to me that you're going to play for Manchester United at some point in your career, I would have just said that's impossible. <laughs> yeah. But as Peter says, you, you act on the information right the way through your career. I never really thought I would ever leave Liverpool, 
but then Real Madrid asked me to play for them and that gave me the biggest yeah. conundrum ever I mean that that, to see no that white kit that the burn of the stadium the players the Galacticos mm. at the time a new yeah. country you know a new experience um, playing with Zidane and Ronaldo and you know Figo and Beckham and Raul and Roberto Carlos and all these great players Casillas who, who Peter mentioned I mean it played with my head I was like oh god I, but I don't want to leave I've you know I've I love it at Liverpool. I you know, I live yeah. at home. It's it's my club. And your dad might get upset you. Yeah. I cried that day when you left. So did oh, I. See, is it not <laughs> absurd, guys? Anything you do that you go and play football on a Sunday and somebody, somebody 50, in Asia is crying. Away. Somebody in Asia is crying. <laughs> oh my God, that's my team. That's my guy. Yeah. Why did he do that? I feel betrayed. <laughs> well, you didn't even think about it. You know what? You, you, you don't know that when you're playing. You don't. You're obviously, <laughs> yeah. obviously you, you see, you know, you come into the stadium it's always full. You see, you know, people singing, having a great time, and you yeah. know, celebrating when you win, and you know, not so great when you're not winning. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't really get into that because the next game is just around the corner, so your your focus is different. Yeah. It's mm. when you retire and when you know we've both travelled around the world for our football clubs and for for the Premier. It's when you meet the fans and you 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 see how how much how much it means to them and how much they know about you. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, mm. And it, yeah, I mean, but from a professional point of view. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You know, you've worked all your life to, to play at the top. And, you know, in each, each phase of your career, you're wanting to, to give yourself the opportunity to win trophies, to play well, to, to gain the credibility. So when Real Madrid came in, it was a very difficult decision for me um but i ended up thinking right i'm gonna i'm gonna go and try it i in my mind i thought to myself i will you know i'll go for one two three seasons and then would love to come back to to liverpool and in fact spoke to the the chairman uh, the chief executive rick parry and we almost you know shook hands have it, you, you can't really have it in a contract but we shook hands and said right you know, I'm just going for a short period of time, have the experience, I'd love to come back. And that very nearly happened. Um, you know, after my time at Real Madrid, um, Liverpool wanted to, to sign me back. I wanted to go. I met Rafa Benitez. My agent sorted everything out. Um, the, the one problem from the point of getting back to Liverpool was that Newcastle had come in and they had offered double the amount mm. that Liverpool had offered. And now, of course, the president at Real Madrid was saying, you know, you can, you can go if you want to, to leave, then you, you can go, but you're not going anywhere apart from Newcastle <laughs> unless another team matches the yeah. bid. Mm. So now I'm in a, obviously a sticky situation where Liverpool can't afford to, to match Newcastle's bid. I'm really probably wanting to go home now, go back to the Premier League because that's where I, you know, mm. where I am. My family, my wife wanted to, to go back home. Um, and, you know, and, and there was a World Cup at the end of the, the season and I was thinking, you know, I've played 
have done well, scored a lot of goals, but we've also, you know, we've got Ronaldo, we've got Morientes, we've got Raul, we've got me, yeah. we've just signed Rubinho, we've just signed Baptista. And there was lots of attacking players and I was thinking, am I going to play that much next season? I need to be playing. So again, as Peter says, you decide, you have all the information in front of you at the time. Liverpool was now not an option. They wouldn't improve their bid at all. Um, so I had the option of either staying at Madrid and, and taking the risk or going to Newcastle. Um, and with the Newcastle deal, they accepted that I wanted to go to Liverpool and they accepted uh, something in, in the contract whereby at the end in the summer there was a clause in my contract that would allow me to go to Liverpool for a set fee wow. so the plan was it was Newcastle were very aware of it the plan was to go to Newcastle a year back in the Premier League and then at the end of that summer go for the fixed amount that Liverpool could then afford unfortunately I, uh, I went to the World Cup uh, at the end of that first season with Newcastle and uh, damaged my knee yeah. so I was now out for a, a, a year yeah. so that obviously put me on the back foot I was now you know unable to go to Liverpool and to cut a long story short I ended up staying at Newcastle for four years not one year um, and then when I became available after those four years again you know I was on the phone uh, to, to Liverpool to, to Jamie Carragher saying go and speak to the manager and everything else like that um, but simply Liverpool didn't need me at that point yeah. I forget who was there then was it Torres or Suarez or whatever but time yeah. moves on and I fully accept that yeah. you know that's that's life um, but every opportunity every opportunity I tried to get back to my club yeah. um, when that's not possible again you've got the decision that you're you know that's, that's in front of you right Liverpool don't need me anymore you know they've got a player in my position where do I go and the two teams that came in for me were Everton and Manchester United <laughs> no matter which I chose but, yeah. I was going to be in trouble um, but you know what do you want me to do you know I'm you know I've got to I'm only you know mid to late 20s I've got a career ahead of me. I need to, to obviously play. I can't retire at 28 or whatever I was, 29. You know, Manchester United came in for me. I yeah. mean, they're the, the Premier League champions. They're, of course, a, a huge club. Yes, I was going to damage my legacy with, with Liverpool. I knew that. But I've also got to look after myself and, and play in a, in a great team. And, and if that's, you know, if that's what were my arch rivals back in the day, then, you know, then, then so be it. Um, so I decided that, that that was a great move for, for my career. Manchester's one hour from my house. It meant I could live at home. <laughs> it meant I was joining, you know, the best team in the country at the time, you know, with the stadium and the players and with the mm. Champions League football and all the rest of it. It was just an amazing, with Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, life just led me down that path to, to, uh, to having the career I, I had. Um, yes, there will be a handful of people that are still grumpy about it. Um, and I can understand. But, you can apologise now, I guess. You <laughs> yeah, feel a little bit no, sore, I can understand, but I think the sensible people in the world can realise, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that this just happened and that's a, the life of a professional. Yeah. If I was a fan, 
I would be a Liverpool fan, you know, all my life. Of course, you, you, a, a fan doesn't change their colours. Yeah. But what a fan doesn't understand is that that's expected. I would be exactly the same. I yeah. wouldn't change mm. my team. I wouldn't support Liverpool one day, Manchester United the next day, and Everton the next That, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. But footballers are professionals. They've got to play at their highest level. Yeah. I mean, and... and and if they didn't, you would question them. Why did you go? You you, you played for a lesser team. Yeah. Where's your ambition? Yeah. You know, people have a go at players from the, the past. You know, but someone like Jack Grealish, he comes through, you know, at, at Aston Villa. It breaks his heart to leave Aston. Yeah. But he's got to go. He's got to go to Manchester City. Yeah. You've got to win the Champions League. You're so good. You you can't just play with all due respect to Aston. You can't play <laughs> in the Europa League and come in sixth in the league or whatever. You can't do yeah. that when you're so good. Yeah. It breaks his heart. It broke my heart to leave Liverpool. But we're professional. We've got to play at the best level we can and achieve as much as we can, mm, yeah. like you do in your career. Yeah. You know, if you got offered a, a, mm. another podcast that was even bigger, a bigger mm. reach and a bigger... You've got to do it. You've I got to be ambitious. Mm. So I, I make no... <laughs> I, I make no apologies. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. <laughs> when you finally did win the league title and that was at Manchester United, was it everything that you had dreamed of? Yes, I, of course I wanted to win every trophy. That, that's, mm. that's ambition. That's, you know, you want to get to the top of your, your career. But for me, just winning a trophy is, is quite hollow if you, don't, if, if, if you don't deserve it or if you don't play much or if you, you know, and, and I had a, you know, my, my first season at Manchester United was, was great. I mm. mean, I, I scored a lot of goals. I played in a lot of games. Um, but really, you know, Wayne Rooney deserved that, that trophy that year. You know, Berbatov, mm. Yeah. You know, the, the great players that were playing week in, week out. You know, there's lots of players in, in life that have got five, six, seven, eight Premier League medals and probably played, you know, eight games a season, didn't really contribute. And does that mean that much to them? Um, so I'm very proud to have won, won the Premier League, of course. I, you know, I, I, I played enough games, played a part in it. Mm. But you know, I, I wasn't the top goal scorer in the team. I wasn't a Peter Schmeichel winning, you know, and being a massive, massive influence on winning that, that title. So yes, very, very proud of the collection of trophies that I eventually won. But I would say my FA Cup winner's medal mm. is more important to me probably because- mm. You feel small person. I won that, you know, yeah. I, I scored two goals in the fire. We won, you know, so it, it's not just, the you know what it says on the medal it's it's your feeling inside mm. and, and what you contributed mm. and how good you were that season and all the rest of it so so yeah very very proud but um you know different medals mean different things at different stages of your career but i think there has been quite a bit of conversation on how the modern football game has changed right and i think michael yourself you've also mentioned on another podcast that actually the technical football ability does seem to have decreased by quite a bit. Would you like to expand on that? Well, of course, I still believe that, that footballers are technically amazing. Um, but I was asked what's been the change over, over the last 20 years. And, and my opinion would be that it's now sports science and, and you know, the physical output of a player is, is more important now than it's ever been. And if you can't run, then 
you might struggle to to uh, to play now. You know, gone are the days when you know thirty years ago you can just have a total genius of a player. Mm that doesn't run but just give him the ball and he can turn and he can play players mm. in you know I'm thinking the likes of Matt Letizier and players mm. like that genius players you know Eric Cantona you know these types of players that, that, that flick the ball and that you know that create so much but now if when you lose the ball you have to be able to run yes. people are looking at numbers and numbers and numbers all the time so I think now football if you are physically very very good if you can get up and down up and down and run more than other people you've got a a bigger and better chance of making it as a footballer is it also because in today's football there's so much emphasis on like the system right if you look at club like it's all about gurgan pressing it's about playing as a team uh, if you look at tiki taka maybe 10 years ago it's always about the team i think scaloni said like last week where his his boys are, are um, learning to play football now and they feel overcoached because they're being told exactly what to do every single moment. They're being told to pass. And he said specifically, if Messi was always told to pass, we wouldn't get the Messi that we have today. Is that yeah. what you guys feel yeah, about that? Yeah, I, I, I hear that argument. I definitely hear it. I think now as a, as a, as a world, we got so much information and we decide to do what we want with it. You've got all the stats, all the passing, all the dribbles, all the, you know, <laughs> the runs, the high intensity, everything. It just gets thrown at you all the time. And if you're not careful, you can now not only play the game according to stats, but you can watch the game in terms of what me and Peter do and be, you know, driven down a, a certain path based on, you know, all the numbers that you're presented with. And I think... A lot of the, the time, a lot of the skill to, to being a footballer, a lot of the skill to being a, a pundit is to use your eyes and, and not necessarily rely on those stats. As you say, if Messi was, you know, well, you, you, just, you just called it correctly. And I think at some point we need to get back to that a little bit, just the natural flair play of, of a player as opposed to always judging them on the numbers all the time. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, I use stats as a reference but I use my eyes to judge whether I think certain players... Good. You might say, well, he scored 30 and he scored 25. Well, and I will simply argue, no, the guy that scored 25 goals is a better player. Yeah. But you, you will have, a, have an argument against me because you can say, well, no, the stats say he's better. Well, you know, in that case, anybody yeah. can have an argument about football. Yeah. You don't really need to, you just need to, to look at numbers. Mm. And I don't really agree with that. And uh, I think you just summarised what happens on uh, football Twitter on, uh, on the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally, you could, I can go down to the local pub and, and have an argument with someone. Yeah. And that's not to say I'm right, but anybody now can have a real debate about football yeah. just by looking at numbers. Whereas in the past, you know, if you didn't really know football, if you didn't really understand it, you wouldn't open your mouth. But now people can just read, 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 and then go against anybody and have a, have a real heated debate. Yeah. Just because of numbers. Speaking about past and present, I think the, the biggest change that we've seen, I guess, in terms of positioning is probably the goalkeepers. Like mm. from 30 years ago, you didn't have to be able to play with your feet. And now almost every manager is looking for a keeper that can play with their mm. feet. Like how do you think modern goalkeeping has, has changed drastically? Yeah, it's changed, it's changed a lot. Um, you still have to be able to do the basics. Uh, I think most managers have an idea about what football is supposed to be like mm -hmm. um, and how it's supposed to be played. And, and in that, of course, you need a goalkeeper uh, if, if, if you want to play a possession game, which Pep, with his Barcelona team, was the first really sort of, was actually defending by keeping the ball. So, mm -hmm. uh, and that's how they became successful. In order to keep the ball, you need 
always to have outnumber the the other team and it, it, in that you need your goalkeeper to take part he is a guy that makes you outnumber the the other team and it's not every goalkeeper who who can play like Edison for instance <laughs> I mean, he he's just incredible in what he does uh, but mo- most goalkeepers are trying uh, and are being asked to do it yeah. as well I, I kind of changed when I've when I play because when I just go back to 1992 um when we played the European Championship and we're in the final and we we had a lot of injuries, let's put it that way. We were, <laughs> we were up against the world champions with no injuries in their team and they could they literally put the best team they could put on the pitch. It was yeah. out there. That was what we were up against. We're not playing very well, couldn't keep the ball. And so what we were trying to do, get the ball up to someone like Brian Laudrup, for instance, and he's kind of looking around and there's nobody there to pass the ball to. So he would kick it back to me <laughs> and I could pick it up. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I take it down, wait, wait, wait for them to come up and put pressure on me, and I would pick the ball up. And in a way, in a way, we killed football that day. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a great. It's a, it's a, you know, European Championship final. You know, supposed to be a spectacle, but we absolutely took the sting out of football. Is that why they changed the rules? I think, the <laughs> I think, it, I think this, there was already sort of a movement towards that. You know, taking out the back pass. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, and I but I think that game <laughs> made people's mind up. Yeah, and, and back. I have to be honest. I was really happy that we that that rule was changed because okay. it wasn't like oh, I'm like oh no, you know, this is <laughs> going to be so difficult. But what it did was it it, it sped up the game. It changed the game mm. that you have to play more. And I think straight away you I realized even though that my job now is different. This is this is you know, beneficial for the game. It's actually making the game better. We've often seen quite a lot of footballing um, dynasties where like you have a footballer and then they often have children that are in football that maybe don't do as well as, as their dads. But you've had a son who's mm. won a Premier League as well and obviously had a, is still having a great career. Was there anything in particular that you imparted on him to ensure that, you know, there was the same perspective that you had? Because obviously he's had a, probably a better upbringing than, than, than you did. <coughs> I didn't have that extra bit that, that you know, make you want to go out in the garden and play with your son. Right. Uh, because I have seasons where I've played more than 60 games. So once, once I came back home, football wasn't something that I wanted to spend time on, to be honest. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to relax, prepare myself for, for the next day, making sure that I was... I was, you know, I've been well eating rested. right and I was rested yeah. and, and and also I wanted to be, <laughs> I use the term, a normal person, uh, be somebody who was capable of, you know, having a conversation about other things in life, uh, being able to do different things. In terms, when it came to Casper, yes, he might he might have wanted to, you know, for his dad to uh, to go go into the garden and play play with him we were quite quite lucky because we um we lived next door to steve bruce and his family so once once casper came home from from school alex bruce would come home from school at the same time yeah. and they literally would drop their school bags and go into we, we, we lived at the end of a sort of a cul-de-sac and they put two goals up and they would be there until we called them in so it wasn't for the lack of him not having somebody to play with right. he did and so i can say with hand on my heart, I have very, very, very little influence on <laughs> on Casper's career and and the uh, and you know the outcome of how good he actually became. Mm. It, it's all about 
his own mentality he's got a really I mean you're talking about being strong mentally he is very very strong he's had right from the beginning he's had to fight against uh, carrying that name on the back in the yeah. same position and he's you know the biases of yeah but you're only here because your dad got you in mm, yeah. uh, you're not really I mean that that's been and it's made him stronger it's made him a lot better uh, when I, I was on the pitch when they got this trophy that was and I'm looking I'm looking at my son lifting this trophy being you know part of an incredible team and being one of the leaders in this team been one of the most important players in that team. That was my biggest moment in football. Not when wow. I lifted this trophy wow. myself, but when he did it, was that was incredible. Really, really, truly incredible. Was, was that what you would have wanted for him as a professional um, footballer at age 15 when he said that, this is what I want to do too? Were you worried for him? Were you like, ah, you don't have to? I never wanted them to do anything for me. Mm. So my father was very, very ambitious. He wanted me to be a musician. And... And, you know, I, I honestly, I did not enjoy having to learn the piano. I did, I didn't, I didn't enjoy practicing. <laughs> I didn't enjoy anything about it because yeah. I was kind of forced into it. It yeah. wasn't my choice. Um, so I decided on every level that it had to be a choice for my children to, for whatever they wanted to do, it had to be a choice. It had to come from inside of themselves. Mm. So when he came around, came there at 15 and said, I want to give it a go. I was quite happy to su support him, but I also, I had to have the talk with him, you mm. know? It was a very important talk and, and, and it, to, to this day, it was probably the most important talk we ever had. And I was very honest with him. I said, I, I really don't want to be anything for you other than your dad. So someone, a sounding board, that if it's really, really, really something you need to talk to me about in terms of football, mm. you will then have to come to me. I cannot, I cannot, you know, it, it's going to be difficult for me to offer that. And against everything that I stand for as well, to go in and, and, and you know, and try to dictate or, mm. or, or even offer, because it's too much pressure. And, and I knew already back then that, that uh, having made that choice, that would be a lot of pressure on him. Yeah. So we agreed that I was going to be his dad. And if, <laughs> if anything, if he needed me for anything in terms of football, he would have to come to me. And he's uh, 37 years old now and we still have it like that. Mm -hmm. We speak every day. And if it's football, oh. he starts a conversation. Oh, Other nice. than that, it's family. I just want to thank both Michael Owen and Mr. Peter Schmeichel for joining us today. Thank, thank you, you so very much. much for sharing your life. Like, share, subscribe. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. So one of them are pineapple tarts and then the other is uh, prawn crackers. Oh, wow. Oh. This is Poncho kind of interesting crackers. because it's the Nutella. That is a bastardization of a Chinese beer <laughs> snack. That nice, so biscuits. You might want one. Mmm. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.